Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. What I've learned since becoming a traumatologist and working on trauma is that our trauma can start in the womb. And that was certainly the case with my mother. My mother was 18 years old. She was married, but she was very traumatized herself. Uh, she'd lost her own mother and she'd been brought up in a convent and then was farmed around to various uh, relatives and sexually abused as well by one of her relatives. So she was a very inexperienced, traumatized young mother and a very stressed throughout her pregnancy. She couldn't connect with me, found breastfeeding disgusting to have to take her breasts out to feed me. So she couldn't do that. She couldn't stand touch. So she would push me off her lap. So my mother's relationship with me was very problematic. Now looking back on it, I know that she suffered narcissistic personality disorder. Besides being traumatized, uh, she was unable to connect with me and she was unable to meet my needs. She couldn't understand them. Everything was about her. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me, I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls and the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives and that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you. What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. 
Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story, what happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hey, beautiful souls. We hear so much about the trauma of childhood, but how much do we think about the trauma of the mother and her mother and so on because childhood trauma is generational and that is why I am sitting here week upon week hearing these stories so that we can change this for our bloodlines so that we can be the healers and the pattern breakers and it's a calling. I believe you are being called to change this for your family There are plenty of others who are sitting in very toxic family situations that will never in their lifetime look to heal it. But you have, and because you have taken up the call, you need all the information you can get to make this happen. And our story this week is from Dr. Melanie Salmon. Dr. Melanie Salmon trained as a gestalt psychotherapist and spent many years practicing She also spent many years as a patient of psychotherapy after growing up with a mother who had narcissistic personality disorder. And you need to hear Melanie's story because the short and traumatic 18 years her mother had spent on this earth before Melanie was born meant that Melanie's trauma began in the womb, in that sacred space that should be calm and clear and it should be the most beautiful space to grow a child but instead it was already filled with trauma. Dr Melanie Salmon decided that psychotherapy, talk therapy, does not get to the heart of the issue of childhood trauma and she has developed her own healing modality which is helping many to heal. Dr. Melanie is also running training certification for QEC and will offer a discount for listeners of the podcast who are interested in this. Please join me in hearing Melanie's story. Dr. Melanie Salmon, you are a medical doctor, a psychotherapist, a trauma specialist and a teacher. Since suffering some extreme childhood trauma, you have committed your life to the study and practice of healing. You've spent 40 years in medicine, and I know that your frustration with the limited options for treating mental health conditions has led you down an interesting path, which we'll chat about soon. But first up, let's talk a little bit more about your story, because your relationship with your mother from infancy was very tough, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Hi, Dawn. Lovely to be on your program. Yes, I think what I've learned since becoming a traumatologist and working on trauma is that our trauma can start in the womb. And that was certainly the case with my mother. My mother was 18 years old. Uh, She was married, but she was very traumatized herself. Uh, She'd lost her own mother and she'd been brought up in a convent Uh, and then was farmed around to various uh, relatives and sexually abused as well by one of her relatives. So she was a very inexperienced, traumatized young mother and uh, very stressed throughout her pregnancy. 
And from the time I was born, I was nothing but a headache for her. She, she couldn't connect with me. She, one of the stories she told me was how she found breastfeeding disgusting to have to take her breasts out to feed me. So she couldn't do that. Um, she couldn't stand touch. So she would push me off her lap and so on. So at a very early age, by the time I was three, I remember seeing some photographs of myself. At the age of one, I've got that sort of lovely wide-eyed trusting of life is wonderful. But by the time I was three, I was already, my shoulders were forward in hunched position and I was looking down and I was no longer trusting life. Um, so, so my mother's relationship with me was very problematic. She was uh, now looking back on it, I know that she suffered narcissistic personality disorder. So besides being traumatized, uh, she was unable to connect with me and she was unable to meet my needs. She couldn't understand them. Everything was about her. And so I grew up from a very young age learning to serve her, to be of service. So that, that was the sort of early pattern. And, you know, there were other things later on as well. Yes. Wow. Actually, I hadn't really ever thought about the fact that trauma can start as early as in the womb. I guess I always think of childhood trauma as your childhood but I hadn't thought of it as being that early and I guess it's probably just like an energy exchange isn't it if you're in the womb is that what it is well it's more than that uh, remember that when you're part of your your mother you're part of her on four levels so there's the physical level that's true so if the mother is stressed, she's already excreting stress chemicals, which is adrenaline and cortisol, into the womb. So on a physical level, you're picking up too much adrenaline. So you're already being primed for a stressful life. So that's on the physical. But then on the emotional and mental, the baby is picking up the mother's emotions. So if she's thinking, this is a mistake, I should never have got pregnant, the child is picking up the concept, I'm a mistake. I shouldn't be here. I'm not welcome. So everything is transferred and spiritually too. You know, we are human beings that live on four levels. So the child is picking the entire four leveled package up before it's even born. And many people say that's a good thing because then the child's primed to arrive in the right state, if you like for its environment, whether it's a, a really tough one where there's poverty and, and so on, or whether it's, it, it's an easy one where it's going to be loved and cared for. So yes, the trauma starts right from the beginning. Gosh, that's, um, that's really interesting. And so I guess when you have a mother who is unable to connect with you in any way, that is really abandonment, isn't it? And so what does abandonment for a, a very young child, what does that do to that child as they grow up? All right. So actually, the most significant and the most damaging trauma occurs under the age of seven. And if we look back to the first half of the, that period, naught to three and a half, more or less, that is the most damaging. So if your mother is not able to connect, because all the child needs at that early stage, the first three years, it needs bonding. It needs to be mirrored by a mother who accepts and loves in a good enough way, not perfect, just good enough. And if it doesn't get that bonding, it experiences abandonment. That's what Gabor Mate talks about as proximal abandonment. Mum's there, but she's not there emotionally. 
She's there maybe to, to, to put the child to bed or to bath it or feed it, but she's not there emotionally. So if a child doesn't get that emotional connection, it experiences abandonment. And the consequence for that is for the rest of its life, the template is set. I am not worthy of connection. There's something wrong with me. And that's the problem. If that early bit is missing, and I, that's why I just cannot understand as a doctor that people don't pay attention to the mothering classes and so on and teach, teach people this because it's the, the, temp, the chance for the template to be formed is in those first seven years and crucially in the first three. And I think that mothers should be doing everything they could to be around for those early years and not be away or hand that job over to somebody else. So yes, you, you form a template for the rest of your life that makes connection a problem intimacy and connection and I'm working with somebody now just as an example I, all the people that I see with my work we go back and we heal the childhood trauma I'm working with somebody now who's turning 60 this year and he was abandoned by his mother when he was she, she had emotional problems she had postnatal depression so she was there but she was not there and throughout his life he's told me he's not been able to sustain a connection with a woman and he wants nothing more I mean, that's his dream to be able to have a relationship, to have intimacy. And he's never been able to sustain it because of that early trauma. Now we've done the trauma work and he's finally in a relationship. He can't believe it. He looks like a three-year-old. He's just so happy. Oh. So, so that's the problem. It leaves it for the rest of your life as, as an issue. Oh, absolutely. I love that story. We'll talk a, a bit more about what you're doing in a minute. And what about your father? What role was he playing in your life in those early years? Well, my father was a lawyer and he was a young articles clerk when my mother was had me at 19. She was married at 18, had me at 19. He was about 21 himself. He, he just wasn't there. He was absent. He was a good man. And I remember him from my later childhood as being the one who played with us or took us on holiday. So he had the capacity to connect. But unfortunately, what happens in so many families, especially back in my day, was it was the man's role to earn the money. So dad wasn't around. And so, you know, I didn't get connection from him either. So it was, I had connection from nobody, really. You know, he was just out, out of the house all the time. And so did you have anybody at all in your life that you were able to turn to or connect with as a kid? No, grandparent. Nobody, no, no, there was nobody at all. Wow. So, and I was the oldest of four. And, and what happened was that the next one after me was, I was four when he was born. I think my mum had two stillbirths and then she had, she had my brother and I was four. And there are photographs of me <laughs> looking after my younger brothers and sisters. There were another two after that. So there were three siblings and I just took care of them as an older child, only four years older, but I was like a little mummy. And I think that's what I did. I, I got my um, connection needs met by taking care of my siblings um, throughout my childhood I was their mummy and and they actually grew up without the problems that I had because they had me to connect with they were able to bond with me I see this a lot in families where the older child might take over the parenting bonding role if you like in protective role I was very protective of them because my father was strict when he was home in those years, later years, he held a very tight rule, you know, the, we would be beaten if we were naughty. Um, so we actually had physical abuse as well. 
yeah so so that's kind of how it how it evolved and can you talk a little bit about what happened when you were six years old so this is also all in my book so it is going to be in the public domain so I was sexually abused um, we were living in South Africa uh, I'm South African grew up in Johannesburg and that was back in the day when everyone had servants and so our our house servant was a, was a young black male and my parents were both, my mother went back to work when I was five, I think. And we were left in the care of, of this young black house servant who sexually abused me for, for six months uh, on a daily basis, well, during the week anyway, when my parents were out. But I, I don't remember that as being a really frightening experience. I remember feeling, uh, believing after that, that I was disgusting. I knew I was worthless because you grow up believing you're not worthwhile when your mother can't bond with you. That's the consequence. I'm worthless. I'm not, I don't deserve to be here. But adding the sexual abuse to that um, created the sense that I was disgusting as well because it was a disgusting experience and and then he was fired after six months I didn't tell my parents um never ever got never ever got out which is a good thing really because back in those days in South Africa he probably would have faced um the death penalty right so wow. yeah and so at that age of sort of seven, eight, nine, how are you dealing with the world? I mean, are you appearing to the outside world as a normal kid? Or? Well, I could only talk about my own experience. And when I, I can remember very clearly those years from uh, six to nine, because I had a significant event at nine. And between six and nine, I was taking care of the youngsters. I was very outgoing. I loved school, I played sports, uh, we had neighbours next door, so my best friend was next door, and we would, I was the leader in the neighbourhood games during the school holidays. Somehow, I still remained relatively normal, until I was nine, and then an event occurred that completely switched me off and, and changed me. And the event was that, well, my mother was obviously not a very normal person at all. And uh, she wasn't able to control me and keep me for her own needs because I was so outgoing despite everything. And what she did at the age of nine was she, she called me in and told me a secret that I was not to share with anyone else. Uh, and the secret was that she'd heard from the doctors that day that she had leukemia and she had a year to live. And uh, I, I was, I never forget being told this, it was in the semi-dark, I wasn't allowed to put the light on, and she just told me this, and she made me promise that I would tell nobody. And outside at that time, in, at the barbecue, were my aunt and uncle, who were both doctors, and my father, and they were all having this lovely evening out at the barbecue, and I walked out into the, into the night with this news that my mother was going to die, and I had nowhere to go. And what that created for me for the next 10 years until I entered medical school, it created a, a prison of being unable to share anything because all my fears, all my anxieties and terrors were related to her about to die. So I just hung around her. I used to even lose, leave school in the middle of the day and walk home three miles to make sure she was okay and I'd arrive in the middle of a, a school morning and she'd say, what are you doing here? And I'd say, I just come to see if you're okay. Of course I'm okay, she'd say. So it was a lie. It actually wasn't true, but I didn't know that. I only discovered that when I became a doctor and learned hematology and realized that she didn't have 
any of the symptoms and never did have of leukemia. And, and so when I confronted her just to finish the story at medical school, I was utterly shocked because I, I became a doctor in order to help her and, and, and discovered that she didn't actually have leukemia. I didn't know what she had, but I came home and I confronted her. I told her I'd learned that day and looked at, looked at the blood cells under the microscope and she doesn't have leukemia. What was she talking about all those years? And she just went into complete denial. She just said, I didn't say anything of the sort. So having my childhood of 10 years of horror and imprisonment denied in one fell swoop like that was just too much to take. I couldn't deal with it. I just, I think something changed in my brain and I just walked away and, and disconnected, couldn't handle it. So yeah, I've had a lot of trauma to deal with from the past. Yeah, absolutely. And so was that the end of your relationship with your mother? It it took me, it made me um, pull away from her drastically, yes. By that time, I was about 20. I was still living at home because I did medical school from home. But I very soon after that left left home. And I, I never regained a relationship with her. She then started to, to use my brothers and sisters for her needs to be met. I've distanced myself because of the, the shock of that lie. Um, yeah. And she actually only died last year at the age of 93. So yeah. she lived a full life, full and long life. Yeah. But she was a very bitter, unhappy woman. She was an alcoholic. So my teenage years were trying to, you know, pick her up at night out of the toilet and wash her down and get her to bed, that sort of thing. It, it, was, it was pretty rough. Yeah. And really the entire thing, I mean, all of those years was really just betrayal, wasn't it? Yeah. And I mean, how do you ever overcome that sort of betrayal? It must have been hard to trust anybody, I guess. Yes, I don't think I think I've had a trust issue all my life. I don't anymore. But I did find it hard to trust. You're right. Yeah. It were my own kids when they came along. So I, it was completely opposite with them. <laughs> yes. And what about your, your dad was here around as you were older? Did you have a relationship no, with your dad? What probably stimulated my mother to, to have that bizarre storyline in order to, to meet her needs was that they got divorced when I was nine. And because my father was a lawyer, they, everything was secrets in this family. And this is so nice to talk about because the secrets have to be broken. But they didn't want anyone in Johannesburg to know that he, had, he was a divorce lawyer himself. So he didn't want the shame of going through his own divorce. So they went and got divorced in another town. They drove five miles out of Johannesburg to another small district, got divorced there in the courts, came back, and he said to her, you can't tell the children, you can't let anyone know we're divorced. So it was a bizarre situation. So what she did was she told me she was ill, but she was probably suffering from the shock of divorce. And then he left and he eventually married another woman. So we didn't see much of him after the age of nine. So when I had my mother so-called dying on me, I also had a father who left and he didn't, he, he had very little to do with us in the years that followed. Yeah, right. You, you got older and you went to medical school. So because we really do live in this model of mental health where there's a diagnosis of a condition and then various treatments and medications, you began to have an understanding that so much of what people were dealing with was a dysfunctional nervous system caused by unresolved and unhealed trauma. 
And I know that that realisation saw you leave the traditional medicine path to find a better way to help people. Can you tell us a bit about that time and that realisation? Yes, you know, um, I, I went into to have my own psychotherapy. I was obviously very traumatised and what we now know, I was frozen, meaning I was disconnected. I always had the sense that I was cut off from, from my body that I lived in my head. I was an intellectual. It worked fine as a doctor, uh, but I was disconnected from my feelings, from my body. And so I went into Gestalt psychotherapy at the age of 40 in the hope of, uh, of healing my past. And, and, and it was a, a long, painful, exhausting journey of the next 12 years of Gestalt psychotherapy on a weekly basis. And so even though I was a doctor and I had access to medication for depression and anxiety, I never took anything. And when I went through this long, exhausting, painful psychotherapy, um, I, I was suffering from a lot of grief and all of that through those years. It, it didn't really heal the, the essential trauma. I, I came out of Gestalt psychotherapy a bit more balanced, a bit more able to, to have relationships. I was certainly well connected to my friends, but I still felt cut off from my own body. It didn't seem to touch my physiology, if you like. And I didn't know what was wrong. I just knew something was wrong. And it was really only uh, in latter years, in 2006, I think it was, I read the book by Bruce Lipton called The Biology of Belief where he explained, he's a medical doctor himself, he explained that actually using the conscious mind, talk therapy, doesn't really do much at all. It can't heal whatever is stored at the subconscious level of mind. He said, you have to access that because the subconscious mind is the big computer. It's what runs the whole body. It runs everything else as well as all your, everything you stored from the past. And if you try and use your conscious mind, you're, you're using a tiny computer with no power. And suddenly everything was clear to me. Oh, if I'm going to heal all that original stuff from my, my mother, the disconnection, the lack of trust, the betrayal, all of that, I need to find a way to work with a subconscious mind. And so I set off on a course to study neuroscience, quantum physics, all of these things, uh, everything that was available on the internet between 2007, 2009. And I put it all together to create my own method. And then I thought, right, I'm going to do it on me first. So I worked on my own traumas first and my own issues that I had about, I still believed that I was worthless, even at the age of 60. This is age of 60 now. All that psychotherapy didn't change the fact that I still believed I was disgusting and worthless. And I changed that within one session. I changed myself. And my husband decided at the time, my, my husband said to me, let's take a photograph of you before you start. And then we'll take one after a few months and we'll see whether you look different. The difference was phenomenal in the space really? of three. Yeah, it was completely phenomenal. I share that photograph. Um, I think it might even be in my book but it certainly is on my lectures because it, it's quite phenomenal when you work with a subconscious level of mind. Anyway, I realized then very quickly, yeah, no, this works, this stuff works. And I was very excited about that because I had been a, a therapist and so on. And I thought I've got to find a way to, to share this with others. So I started seeing clients and, and the rest is history. That was 12, 12 years ago. So I'm 73 wow. now. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing what you did there. 
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And so can you just explain in general, you were talking about that man before that came in and everything changed. What happens to us with childhood trauma? What happens to a person? Why is it so hard for us to change it? Well, a lot of it is dependent on the age at which trauma occurs. So, and that's because the brain is very different at different ages. So I'll just give you a a summary of this. It's much more complicated, but essentially under the age of seven, we are very much like an adult who's in a hypnotic trance or asleep. So we absorb everything and we do it very quickly and we hardwire it in because we have to do that. We have to learn to walk, to talk, to absorb our culture. We've got so much to learn. And that's why a child under the age of seven can learn four languages at the same time without a problem. So everything is switched on for maximal absorption. That includes the trauma, sadly. And what happens is that if your trauma the event occurs under the age of seven, it gets hardwired along with everything else. So just the way you never forget to ride a bicycle, even if you don't ride one for 20 years, it's still there. The trauma is always still there and can be triggered. If you have a memory or something that reminds you of that early thing, then you get triggered back into a trauma pattern and trauma response. And that's how it affects us later on. It's hardwired. And that's why you have to work with the subconscious mind because at the subconscious mind in the, with the big computer of the brain, the wiring changes. You completely change the brain's wiring of the trauma and it just wipes the slate clean so that you almost forget that you've done the work. You almost forget it. you had that problem. You know you have it, but it's like a, a distant memory. That's how profound the, the shift is. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? So sitting and talking in talk therapy for years, do you think that's just a waste of time? I hate to say it. I was one. I was a very good talk therapist, but I'm afraid so. I'd never do it again. Yeah. I'd never people just to sit and, and talk. Look, the my sessions include talking because I'm glad I've got that skill that I can yeah. I can explore with people what the issues are. I'm very glad I've got that skill. But just leaving it at that, just being aware of your stuff doesn't change anything. Yeah. So you've developed something called quantum energy healing. And how does that actually work to to heal our past traumas well it works it works for things also more than more than trauma and addiction although trauma and addiction are, are an incredible success with what i do it it basically 
I give a 90 minute session and the first 45 or almost an hour of that is, is me using my Gestalt psychotherapy, just listening and finding out what all the things are in your life that are not working for you right now. Not the trauma. We go to the trauma later on when we've met a few times and there's some trust built up. But basically, I just change things that are not working right now. And the, the, the whole thrust of this is that the change and the decision to change has to come from the client themselves, not from me. I've, I've given up this idea that we're here to fix other people. As a doctor, I was fixing people. As a psychotherapist, I was fixing people with clever ideas. I don't do that with QVC. I give the other person the, the concept of a miracle. I'll say to you, let's say you say to me, I'm always late and I want to be on time for my for my podcasts. I would give you a magic wand or I'd say to you, Dawn, if you had a miracle, how would you like to be rather than always late? And then whatever comes out of your mouth, I write down and that becomes a sentence that we then install. It, there are certain rules for the subconscious mind has got to be stated in the presence and so on. So we install all the sentences for change up to a maximum of 10 in a session. Okay, and it can be about simple everyday things. But as soon as it's installed, the, the, the technique involves something very easy to do. Even a seven-year-old can do it. It's, you sit in a certain way to hook the brain up. You, you have to go through a certain breathing for five breaths to create an electromagnetic field around the heart. And then you need to bring up a feeling of gratitude. So I help you to achieve that. And when those three things come together, what happens is the brain goes into a gamma brainwave state. That's a very, very fast brainwave. We don't normally have that. Athletes can get it when they're in the zone, but it's rare. So we create a gamma brainwave to install. And when you've got the gratitude, I tell you, you tell me when you've got gratitude and you nod, you've got it. I give you your sentence, you repeat it after me and boom, it goes in within 20 seconds. And, and that's it, just a one-off. You never repeat it again, it's done. It, it, it's a one-off because it's taken by the powerful subconscious mind and it's rewired in the brain so you never have those problems again and as I say some people come back to me after several months and I say how's the lateness going and I'll say was I late did I have a problem with lateness that's how how much you forget wow that's amazing and so how did you figure out that all of those things had to go together yeah look I've I've researched all over the place I I thought that there would be courses that trained in the subconscious mind when I read Bruce Lipton's book I just thought oh I'll find out where that is and I'll go learn it and there wasn't anything there were people doing bits of it wherever I went there was just there was a small bit here and there was a small bit there but none of it felt big enough or serious enough or concrete enough. And after about a year and a half of courses, my husband was getting fed up and he said, haven't you been to enough courses already? Why don't you just put it all together and create it yourself? <laughs> and I said, don't be silly, I can't do that. And I slept on it and I thought, you know, he's got a point. I'm a doctor, I'm a psychotherapist. Why don't I just join them all up? So that's what I did. Over the next year and a half, I creatively joined them up until I found the recipe that seemed to work. Wow. Can you give us a couple more examples of people that you've changed their beliefs? Yeah, well, I have so many at the moment. They're coming thick and fast under the COVID problems. Everybody's struggling with fear and panic and stuff like that. But I worked with somebody recently. And in fact, she's she was so blown away. She's now coming on the training. 
Um, she contacted me because she had such severe panic attacks she, and she'd had them for eight years that she couldn't go out of the house. And she was in a, a, a lovely relationship, a woman of about 40, lovely relationship, but she was so terrified every time he left the house, every minute of every day, she was afraid she was gonna lose him. He'd have an accident or this or that. And it was, it, it had got to a point where she just could hardly breathe. That was how bad her panic attacks were. So somebody referred her to me and we sat in session and I talked to her about her childhood and her life and where did it all start and how long have you had it? And eventually when somebody comes to me, when they have a very acute crisis, like high anxiety, panic, whatever, um, I work with that straight away. Whatever's caused it comes later, but we, we deal with the current situation. So I got her to install uh, a sentence to stabilize her autonomic nervous system, because that's what goes into fight and flight. And she was at the extreme of flight and flight. She was on the freeze end of the spectrum. And then we put in a few sentences to release panic attacks on all levels and that it was safe and she gives herself permission. She was very doubting about these sentences. So we added one, I give myself permission to be free of panic attacks. I think there were seven or eight sentences to that effect. And she contacted me the next day and she was in shock. She said, I'm completely normal. I don't feel anything, it's gone. Is this going to last? And anyway, I saw her a week later and I saw her every week for about six sessions because we eventually, she, she didn't get another panic attack again, not one. And after eight years of constant panic attacks, she was flabbergasted. And she's had so many other people refer to me, her partner now sees me and her friends are coming to see me because they've saw the change in her. And yes, yeah, she hasn't gone back, back to that. And luckily, because she stayed working with me, she wasn't just going to leave it at being free of panic. We, we actually went to the childhood trauma where it all started when she was 10 and you know she lost her father and so on. So we, we were able to go back and, and, and now she's a completely different woman. She's off at the beach and having fun and you know stable in her relationship. And now she's coming to train because she, she knows this stuff works. Wow. And so that all originated from losing a parent? Is that what her childhood trauma was? Yeah, she had a, her parents got divorced when she was nine and it was very sudden and she didn't, she was the apple of her father's eye. She had an incredible relationship with him and he just left, didn't come back and there was no explanation. So it was a shocking loss. It was a shocking abandonment. And she didn't have anxiety then. She went into teenage years and had a pretty hectic teenage uh, time of instability. But her mother died when she was 32, which was eight years ago. Her mother died. And I think that kick-started the, the panic. You see, all panic is, is it's extreme fear. And when you've had a series of losses, you might get to the point where suddenly both parents are gone now and life is just, when am I next? That was the, the sort of how it worked in her story. But it, that's a very familiar story. People generally go into extreme anxiety and panic over loss. That, that's what the fear is. If you really stop to ask, what are you really afraid of? And then people go, well, and what, but what's behind that? And you find out that actually the biggest fear is death. I'm afraid to die. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So why is quantum energy healing such an important tool for the world today? Well, 
it's it's you saying that I'm I would be a bit shy to say that but I think what is true about QVC is that it's first of all it's a tool that can be used through the internet so you don't have to personally go and have a hands-on work with somebody you can reach people all over the world which is what I'm doing so it's it's accessible number two it's utterly safe there are no side effects. There are no negative. If, if, if I think about pharmaceutical agencies and, and, and the side effects and dangers of them, there's just no comparison. So it's absolutely safe. Number three, it's very quick. You see, when you, heart, when you wire the brain at the subconscious level, you're actually clearing whole big areas at one time. And anything related, let's say your problem is fear, like this, this girl's was fear. Once we'd cleared the fear area in, in, in the neural network, everything related to fear went. So it's much quicker because it tends to create sections of the brain rather than one little thing at a time. So it's, it has a vaster knock-on domino effect on other things. So it's safe, it's quick, it's inexpensive, relatively speaking. You know, when I think I committed my life, to 12 years of psychotherapy on a weekly basis, I spent a fortune and, and, and my results were only maybe 50% of my life was better. But of course, I wanted it all gone. I wanted, I wanted that deep stuff inside. My relationship with myself didn't get better from, from psychotherapy. So yeah, I, th I think it's appropriate for this time on the planet. We're all locked down to some extent. We're all cut off from each other to some extent. But we can connect through the internet. And I'm healing people at the rate of knots. You cannot believe all over the globe. I've just had three requests today from Oslo in Sweden, from somebody I worked with last week. They were all shocked at the change in her. We want that. We want that, they said. So, and, and it's quick. They'll, they'll come and they'll have three or four sessions and they'll be gone back yeah. to their life. It's not a long-term commitment. That's amazing. It's interesting that our brain can hold on to that in the subconscious for so long for like you said like 60 years but then it can be changed in two sessions it doesn't make sense does it how how can the brain you know if we're so wanting to get rid of all of that stuff in our heads we just can't do it in all those years it's amazing that it can be done so quickly yes yes it's clearly we didn't understand when we brought about talk therapies, you know, they were created about 100 years ago, talk therapies. And I remember seeing a book at the end of that set last century that said, we've had 100 years of psychotherapy and the world keeps getting worse. And I think that was, the, that was written by one of the people that I really uh, admired in America, a Gestalt therapist. And I think he's right. We've had 100 years of therapy and the world's getting worse. We were going... We were working with the wrong part of the mind. We were working with a conscious part of the mind, which really doesn't have the power to change. It can do certain things, but it really doesn't have power. And mm. so I'm so glad that I've found a way to work with the subconscious where power resides for change. And it's needed at this time, as I say. Yeah, it uh, definitely sounds like it's something that you need to get the word out because these things are so important, aren't they? When these things get discovered by somebody, you know, we all need to find out about it. So obviously people are keen to learn to do this themselves what qualifications do you need to become a QEC practitioner well my my 20-week course teaches you to become a practitioner but obviously you can use QEC for yourself and your family going through that training 
I don't ask for any previous qualifications. It's easy enough not to need them. And, and the one thing that I feel very strongly about is that it is a self-help tool that we're trying to teach and it should be available to everybody. So I don't narrow the field down and say, well, only people with counseling experience. So what, what happens is I get such a range of people coming on my trainings from highly qualified PhDs all the way down to somebody who's just finished school, the entire range. And my trainings are very personal. I do it all myself. It, we have small training groups and supervisors uh, then divide people into groups of four and they stay in that group of four in the practicum for the whole 20 weeks. I keep dropping in to help teach. So besides my lectures, I have a very strong hands-on part of the practicums. And then, and so I would put people, I would group people together in a group of four. I wouldn't put a PhD with a school leaver, if you know what I'm saying. I try and match people up to the, to their level of ex expertise, if you like. Yeah, it works out well. It yeah, out. it sounds amazing. So it's all done online. People can just hop online and do it. That's That's fantastic. So, Melanie, if people are interested in getting in touch with you about the quantum energy healing, where can they find you? Probably the easiest is go go to my website and to connect with uh, my PA, Anima, and she she will um, obviously, if they want an appointment with me, she can sort that out. I don't vet people strongly for anything. I'm very open. I I trust that whoever comes to sit with me needs to. And it's, it very rarely goes wrong. So it's fine to just go to my website, www.qeciliving.com. And on there, connect with me if they want to see me personally. If people are interested in the training, I offer a 20-minute meet and greet free session just to ask about it uh, without any commitment. So if they want to meet and greet, they can tell Anima, I'm interested in the training, but I want to meet Melanie first. Or they, if they want to come on the training, they can they can book there as well on the website. Okay. So I was going to say I have two trainings in September, and then the next lot will start up in February. And with those trainings, you've got a discount for anybody listening to the podcast. Is that right? That's right. Yes, and we'll give a ten percent discount to anybody on this podcast. So oh, I think fantastic. they would say that they are they were on your podcast yes fantastic so tell me about there has to be another way which is your book is that just coming out now yes it's it's probably going to be out in about three weeks time I've taken a long time I've taken over four years because I've been moving around the world a lot and things have been happening so luckily finally it's getting published but that's basically the raw true story of of my my life, my childhood, my trauma, my I had a lot of adult traumas as well. For example, I lost my daughter. Um, so and how I overcame all of these going through my life with QEC at the end, I, it was really amazing. And I share at the end what I used, what I did on myself. I, I decided to just go for the whole thing and be completely open. And so I also shared the sentences that I installed for some of the traumas, some of the major traumas, like my mother in that betrayal story and my daughter when she died through medical mismanagement, I, sh I shared the sentences that I put in to heal from that. So, it's, yeah, it's quite an interesting book. Yeah, absolutely. And it will be in all the major stores, um, Amazon and all the other stores, the big ones. Fantastic. Well, if this resonates with you, please go and do get in touch with Melanie. I'll put all the links in the show notes, but if you feel this is of interest 
please do connect with her and don't forget the special discount. Melanie, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're an amazing woman. You're so strong. Everything you've been through, I just think, yeah, your contribution to the world in just coming up with something so important after everything you've been through, it's just amazing. And I've really enjoyed hearing all about it today. So thank you so much for sharing with us. Gosh, thank you. And thank, thank you for giving me the opportunity because I don't have that many years left on the planet, I don't think. <laughs> and, I, and I really do believe that, that, that this, this works and that this is the ideal solution in a very quick and safe way to so many of our problems and to have an opportunity to talk to an audience who don't know about it, who might be able to come forward and say, yeah, let me try. You know, I'm suffering, I'm in crisis or I'm in pain. I'm very grateful to have an opportunity to share. Thank you. Thank you so much. Check the show notes for a direct link to all books recommended in this episode. Come and follow me on Instagram at My Big Love Project. Drop a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thank you for joining me. I'll catch you next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.